this is my story this is my song you know to have a story you have to know the savior and we talk sometimes about giving a testimony not probably not as much as we should uh, but i wonder if i were to ask you the question what is your testimony how would you answer that you see a christian testimony is basically what was our life like before we came to know christ how did we meet the lord as our savior and then how's he changed our life since then and my prayer for you today would be that if you don't have a testimony if you couldn't answer that with confidence that you would meet the lord jesus christ today by faith and trust in him and know him uh, so that you can have a story and a song and praise him uh, with your life and all that you do uh, the passage of scripture today that we're going to consider is in the gospel of luke chapter 6 and we're going to be looking today together at verses 39 through 45 in a message entitled how to see clearly how to see clearly as we continue in our study in the gospel of luke now the human senses are our connection to the environment around us we have the sense of being able to see and being able to taste being able to smell being able to hear and being able to touch the human brain combines all of those seeing hearing tasting touching and combines it into a meaningful whole our brains perceive up to 80 percent of what's going on around us in the world by the sight that we've been given physically and i would say to you today that while physical sight is very important and i'm most grateful for it uh, most important for us ultimately is to have spiritual eyes to see to be able to see things as they really are, to be able to see things from God's perspective so that we can know what he wants from us and how he sees the world and what's going on in light of eternity. Now, this passage of Scripture is part of what's called the Sermon on the Plain that is from gospel, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, verse 20, all the way through verse 49. It begins with a series of Beatitudes, then Jesus teaches on love and mercy toward our enemies he talks about judgment and how to properly judge then he turns his attention to being able to see clearly and then he's going to close out the sermon with an illustration on being sure that you're building your life on the right foundation so i want to show you from the words of jesus how you can see clearly first if you want to see clearly look to jesus look to jesus luke chapter 6 and verse 39 the bible says and he spoke a parable to them can the blind lead the blind will they not both fall into the ditch a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher now when you first read these verses if you've been paying attention to the verses that precede them they seem to have no direct connection because jesus has talked about in the verses leading up to this about uh, blessing on the poor uh, woe to those who are rich he's talking about loving your enemies and lending to people without expecting anything in return he's giving instruction on being able to judge without condemning other people the importance of forgiving and then the significance of giving and in the midst of all of that, Jesus spoke a parable. Now, Jesus would often do that. He would change quickly from one subject to the next. 
and he would use the parables to be able to compare something that people would understand in the physical realm to be able to make a spiritual point uh, that he wanted to get across. And there are several dozen of the parables of Jesus that he spoke that are found in the Gospels, and this is one of them. So he said, can the blind lead the blind? That's a good question. Would they not both fall into the ditch? Now, he's using this illustration in the region of the world that had a lot of pitfalls. It was very rugged terrain. Uh, There's multiple examples in the scripture of the rough ground and falling into pits. And he's using this in the figurative sense for comparison. And walking spiritually blind is just like walking physically blind in a dark place not being able to see where we're going not having the vision that we need to be able to be safe and to make it to our destination now i think there's a connection here in the words that jesus spoke uh, with the words that he used to the scribes and the pharisees when he described them as blind guides in matthew chapter 23 you remember that the pharisees had this particular ability to lay heavy burdens on the people uh, to build the religion up in such a way that uh, people had a hard time following it not only that but they loved the attention they loved to have the best seats uh, in the synagogue they loved to pray long prayers of pretense so that people would uh, hear their prayers and think that they were more spiritual and jesus said that these people were nothing more than hypocrites who were leading other people astray. Ironically, they were supposed to be teaching religious truths and leading people on a spiritual path. But in fact, they were blind guides and they were leading other people astray. So the point that Jesus makes is very simple. Don't follow blind guides. Don't follow people who are not going to take you in the right direction instead of following those blind guides look to jesus follow jesus be sure that you are following other people who are also following jesus i think of the words in hebrews chapter 12 in the first two verses the bible says therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a timely word for God's people. For us to endure and to run this race that has been set before us. Jesus never said the race was going to be easy. Jesus never said the race was going to be without obstacles. The Bible says that we are to run that race and we are to do it with endurance. But here's the key you cannot run the race in your own strength. If you're going to run the race, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus because it is Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you follow Jesus, you'll not walk in spiritual darkness. You'll walk in spiritual light. Then I'm also reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul that he spoke to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. 
So we have human teachers. We have people who encourage us to walk in the way. It could be a leader in our church. It could be a family member who's walking on the spiritual path. It could be a formal leader in the church. It doesn't matter who it is, but if that person has their eyes on Jesus and is following the word of God, then they can be followed. They can be trusted because they are too following after Jesus. And I'm reminded of this very important point that disciples have the responsibility to be disciple makers is that not at the heart of the great commission that we point people to jesus as we also follow jesus mount everest in nepal at least on the one side it's in nepal the other side it's in china is the tallest mountain in the world in fact the international border between nepal and china goes across the summit peak of Mount Everest. Its elevation is 29,029 feet. Multiple people die every year trying to reach the summit. Last year was a particularly deadly year in people trying to reach the summit. 11 people at least that they know of perished as they tried to go up the mountain. And climbers depend on what they call Sherpas, people who are guides from a Nepalese people group. These people are known for their climbing skills. They have superior strength. They have endurance at high altitudes. So they hire these Sherpas to help them make their way up the mountain. And the Sherpas have the responsibility to determine the routes, to fix the lines, to ferry the supplies, and to guide the clients to the top of Mount Everest and other large, tall mountains in the region. Sherpa Kami Rita holds the record for summiting Mount Everest 24 times in 25 years. And when he was interviewed last year, he said this, I treat every climb with the same sincerity as the first. He holds the world record for helping people get up that mountain. You see, when people are heading up that mountain, it's dangerous, it's full of pitfalls, it's, it's full of all sorts of obstacles. But when they're headed up that mountain and they have a trusted guide, they keep their eyes on that Sherpa. They listen to what the Sherpa says to do. They pay attention to what the instructions are because their very lives depend on it. And for us, as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our eternal life depends on Jesus. Because he has secured our salvation, he has paid the price for us. He's been crucified and buried and raised, and even now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And when we look to him, he is a worthy guide. And he's given us the word and the spirit that we might follow in the path that he wants us to follow in. So as disciples, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus guided by the word guided by the spirit and we lead other people to follow jesus as well second if you want to see clearly deal with your sin deal with your sin i pick back up reading in verse 41 and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not perceive the plank in your own eye or how can you say to your brother Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye 
and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, if you think that the Bible is minus humor or irony, you need to look again. Because that's exactly what Jesus is using here to make this point. That if we want to see clearly, we have to learn to deal with our sin. He's using a humorous example, hyperbole, if you will, to illustrate that we are more tolerant of our sins than we are of the sins of other people. The speck here represents a fleck of sawdust, something so small that if you look into the eye, you can barely see it. And a plank is like a supporting beam in a building. He uses the smallest of all examples, and then he uses a ridiculous example to make his point. And we are so quick to identify and to magnify the sins of other people and to fail to see our own. Ken Hughes, the preacher, said, we find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin but we look at ours through the wrong end of the telescope. We easily spot a speck of phoniness in another because we have a logjam of it in our own lives. Wrath toward the speck in someone else's life may come from the suppressed guilt over some massive sin in our own lives. Now, I think an important point to note here is that Jesus did not indicate that we shouldn't help a brother who has a speck in his eye or a sister who has a speck in her eye but the point is we should first take the log out of ours so that we can see clearly what we're looking at and it's a good thing to help other people when they fall into sin or when they're in danger of falling into sin but not before we've dealt with our own first thessalonians 5 and verse 14 says we urge you brethren admonish the unruly encourage the faint-hearted help the weak and be patient with everyone so we're given directives in the scripture to admonish the unruly that's those who may fall by the wayside or those who have fallen into sin or they've undertaken something that would be displeasing to god and jesus is not saying don't help that person but he's saying don't minimize your own sin and magnify the sin of someone else deal with the sin that is in your heart so that you can help someone else along the way as well and unfortunately we all know that the critics are many they are everywhere and they're expert critics uh, there are many even in churches who have uh, it seems the ability to be harsh toward other people and to be easy on themselves to recognize the shortcomings of other people and yet condemn their behavior while they're undertaking worse themselves. And Jesus said, if you do that, you're a hypocrite. Now, these are serious words. Uh, judgmentalism is intrinsically hypocritical. A hypocrite claims to believe one thing and do another hypocrisy is play acting it's putting forth a good front but yet doing something entirely and altogether different so how do we overcome that we always hear these charges well the church is full of hypocrites the church is full of sinners well i got news for you we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of god 
And when we come to the church, we are not proclaiming that somehow we have some type of perfection or that we are any better than anybody else. It brings us to the very lowest point of humility where we recognize that were it not for the grace of God, none of us would be able to stand. We recognize that it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we can have forgiveness. It's through God's patience and mercy with us that we can live for him. And the way to overcome it is to learn to look critically within yourself, but to look mercifully toward others. Let me say that again. Look critically within yourself, but look mercifully toward others. We've all got problems, weaknesses, inconsistencies, failures, wrong motives, Life is bound up with that stuff because we live in a sin-fallen world. But the question is, are we humbling ourselves before God and as children of God, are we striving toward holiness? Are we striving to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good? You see, repentance doesn't end at salvation. God calls us to live a repentant life to take hold of the grace and the mercy of God in Christ, to maintain an awareness of your sin, to pursue holiness, to live in light of the forgiveness that God gives you through the cross and through the resurrection. And it's not a self-loathing type of living. It's a joy-filled, grace-filled type of living because you begin to understand more and more as you go along the magnitude of what God has done for you through his only son. Third, if you want to see clearly, guard your heart. Guard your heart. I pick back up reading in verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus uses another illustration here, indicating that you can identify the type of tree by the type of fruit. This is a very simple horticultural uh, example here of being able to understand spiritual fruit compared to something that's in the physical world and he's making the point here that you can't gather figs from thorns you can't get grapes from what he refers to as a bramble bush and a good person out of the good measure of his heart is going to bring forth good and then an evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart is going to bring forth evil so let me say it this way The true nature of a person always eventually shows itself in the type of fruit their life bears. A changed heart is going to produce changed behavior. So it's just this simple. You will produce good fruit if you're a believer. And you are not a believer if you do not produce good fruit. It's just that simple. Because who we are is going to be evidenced by what comes out. 
And listen, this fruit is not for our glory. It's not for our attention. It's not so that other people will think we're spiritual. Any good fruit that comes from our lives, it's for the glory of God. That's what it's for. It's for His exaltation. And the Proverbs tell us in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. What is inside of a person will come out. And friend, this is why it's so important that you guard your heart because the purity of the source is critically important. If the source is bad of what's coming out of your heart and you're not saved, then it's going to be bad fruit. But if the source is good because the Spirit of God indwells you, then you're going to bear good fruit. James said in James chapter 3, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So so I just want to ask you this question. Is your life a good tree or is your life a bad tree? It's one or the other. In the natural world, fruit is the result of a healthy plant. A plant produces what it's intended to produce. And you can identify your life spiritually by what your life produces. Now, don't get this backwards. So many people get this backwards. They think that if they do good works and and they live according to a set of principles and they're what I call do-gooders, then because they're a do-gooder, they're going to go to heaven someday when they die. Listen, that would be an offense to the cross. If you can do good works and those good works will somehow pile up so that someday God will look at you and he will accept you into his presence in heaven, then there was absolutely no need for Jesus Christ to come to this earth. There was absolutely no need for Jesus to endure the pain that he endured on the cross. There was absolutely no need for Jesus to bear the wrath of God upon himself to be crucified on Calvary's hill. But you see, God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent the perfect Lamb of God who went on our behalf and took the penalty that we deserved. And when we accept Him by grace through faith, then the result of that is that good fruit is produced in our lives. Good fruit is a result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It all comes from the Spirit of God. So how can you guard your heart and bear good fruit? Jesus told us how. He said, abide in me and I in you. John chapter 15 and verse 4 and 5, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So abide in Jesus, draw near to Jesus, depend on Jesus, lift up Jesus in your life. 
And as you keep your eyes on him and follow him, point other people to do the same. So I ask you this question today in closing. How clearly are you able to see? How clearly are you able to see? For 51 years, a man by the name of Bob Edens was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness. And then he could see. Was it part miracle? Was it part medical? I don't know, probably a combination of the two. But a skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time in his life, Bob Edens had sight, and he found it overwhelming. Here's what he said. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow, he exclaimed. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow. But red is my favorite cover, color. I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars and the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. You see, that's similar to what happens to us spiritually. That's why we can say when we are in Christ, I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost and I was separated from God. I was undone. I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. But God intervened on my behalf and God showed me the way. When the light came on, everything began to be so clear. And friends, that's how spiritual sight is. God opens up our eyes and he helps us to see not just the things that are around us, but he helps us to see things in light of eternity. And that's what we want to see as we keep our eyes on the Lord. Do you know him today? If you don't, now would be a good opportunity to repent and believe. As I said earlier in the service, I want to encourage you to connect with us if you have spiritual steps to take. You need somebody to pray for you. You have questions that you want to ask. And you can simply email us at info at crosslinesbaptist.org and somebody will contact you. I'll contact you personally. And I'd love to talk with you and help you along the way to keep your, keep your focus on Jesus. If you don't know him today, would you trust him? Christian, maybe you've looked to the side, to the right or to the left, and God is saying to you today, get your eyes focused back on Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to follow. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these moments that you've entrusted to us. Thank you for the words of Jesus that are so clear using these earthly examples that we can easily understand. But Lord, ultimately it takes uh, the Spirit of God illuminating this word to help us and to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they today would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they would look to Jesus like never before. And I pray for any under the sound of my voice who may not have taken that step of faith. And they know today that they need to say yes to Jesus. I pray that though now they are blind, that they would see because they look unto the Savior. 
the only one who is able to save. So now as we close out our time together in song, may it encourage us and remind us of where our vision should be fixed. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.